Jump. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Galactica. Actually, I am a recovering from the flu, ADL Jackson co-host. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my co-host is... Jamie Smith. How are you doing, Jamie? Uh, better than you. Yeah, it was a rough, rough... Uh, 28, 28, eight hours. It was a rough 33 hours. 33, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was having delusions and all kinds of stuff. It was wild. Aww. But but I'm uh, I'm here and ready to talk some BSG. Yeah. Episode 19. It's time to lay down your burdens. I'm part of them. <laughs> yeah, so uh, want to get to it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, uh, just one thing, I don't know, you might've found this in, in some of your trivia, but I, I was, cause I, I watched this when I was six, so I didn't re- I wasn't super motivated to actually go research it. But in the opening sequence of like the previously on Battlestar Galactica, there was one sequence with Starbuck talking to, uh, Rosalind mm-hmm. when, Ro- I got those scenes when Rosalind's on her deathbed. Yeah. Um, saying that she needs to go back to Caprica, and I don't remember that ever being in the show, and I was wondering if that was yet another yep um, sequence. Okay, it yeah, that was. Uh, we did talk about that being cut out of that episode when we covered mm-hmm. that episode. So yeah, they put that back in this previously, and then there's a second one in the previously. Um. I think it was something with with Sharon. I don't even remember that. Yeah, there were, so, there were two yeah. scenes in the previously that were new. Mm. I th- I think it was Sharon or maybe it was Lee and Duala. I can't remember now. But I I don't like this trend and I'm curious to see if it if it continues in future seasons where they're like we're doing these things we want to show you why but we never you never saw it before so like you have to pay attention to the previously which I normally don't cuz yeah I watched this already why am I watching the previously on I've watched the show but now these previously ons are like giving you added information I mean, I always watch the previously on for every show that I watch because my memory is so uh, terrible. (laughs) I think it's like my attention to detail is so terrible. But I also watch them because it lets me know kind of like for the episode I'm about to watch what is important to know, you know? Yeah. But that's just me. Um, Well, oftentimes when shows do previouslys, especially when they're shows with a lot of... um, mythology or um i don't know i I feel like previously sometimes spoil you for what 
is going to happen in the episode by highlighting something that you haven't seen recently. Mm-hmm. And I don't love that either. Like, yeah, I get, I get that. Don't, yeah. don't sort of tip your hand and let us know ahead of time that like, oh, I guess we're going to see so-and-so because you're showing them in the preview. We haven't seen them for six episodes or whatever. Like, let things be a surprise. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, for me, it's just kind of like, like, again, my, my memory is so terrible that I, like, I will, especially if it's like I'm watching the season premiere uh, of a show, sometimes... I'll be watching the previously on and I'm watching it and I'm like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> and sometimes I have to go back and just actually watch the finale or something. So I remember what was on. Um, but that, again, that that's just me. But I, I, uh, I think for the most part, I think they do them pretty well without like giving away like spoilers or whatever but i totally hear you at the same time um well the ones in battlestar they don't seem to be like well you haven't seen this person in a while so now we're going to show them it's not quite that it's a whole different animal because they're showing us scenes we never saw yeah yeah i was i mean i noticed the first time i noticed it when i was watching it back in the day i was like oh this is obviously not a part of like anything we've seen um but i i thought it was kind of economical to do it because again it just it gave me like the information i needed and i could i could sort of like infer that this is something that would have happened off screen quote unquote mm -hmm. you know um and we didn't have to do a whole five minute scene to get this information right but, we didn't have to have exposition yeah. in the episode yeah about like why Starbuck is suddenly going back. I will, although they do not explain what changed to allow her to go back. Yeah, definitely. It's only because like, only because of all the deleted scenes and stuff that I've been watching that I fully understand that this is something that's been going on for a while. Yeah. But when I remember when I was watching it back in the day, it did seem like it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like, oh, like, oh, now it's time to go back, you know, yeah. instead of. When I was watching it previously, I never thought like it never it never occurred to me that it was weird that she was going back. It just seemed like she's wanted to go back this whole time. She's talked about it quite a bit. So and plus, like we saw Anders in the last episode. So it wasn't surprising to me that in this one, like suddenly like now she's going back because we saw he's still alive. I think for me, it's a, it's sort of like, it's not so much her. It's like that she's given all the resources and able to have yeah. lead this whole mission to do it. And like, like I think like what you were saying, I think it's like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. From like Adama and Rosalind. And I can see it now through the deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah. Not so much from what we got from the, TV cuts, you know? Yep. So for the opening for this one, like the show, the it it does what it does normally, which is it jumps all around. Um, and I sort of like distilled each one into their own little blocks to make it a little bit easier to talk about. Okay. Um, um, so like, let's start with uh, Tyrol first. Okay. Like, this, this is actually where we open. 
um, with Tyrrell, and he's having one hell of a nightmare. Um, he's in his skivvies writhing around on the floor. Um, and I actually want to, like, through through this episode, I actually want to talk about, like, the ramifications of not just this episode, but connected to the revelations that we get mid, like, is it late? Is it the end of season three? Is that when all that happens? Yes. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but he's in the hangar deck. He's writhing around. It's empty and dark. Eventually, Callie enters. Um, she's looking for her chief. She hears a sound and finds him on the floor. She tries to wake him up, and Tyrrell immediately starts, like, just pummeling her, hitting her. She's, like, all bloody. Mm -hmm. It's pretty pretty brutal. It's brutal enough um, that when this originally aired, they had a, like, a warning. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. One time my mom woke me up, and it startled me, and I swung at her. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, because I, I just, like, I didn't know it was her. I just, like, I was asleep or whatever. I was on the couch, and and I just, the I just had this instinct to swing. I, you know, obviously, I missed her. Um, I have never woken up like that. Yeah, I meant that was the only time. I don't know <laughs> what was going on. It wasn't even like I was in like a some stressed state. I definitely didn't think I was a Cylon or anything. <laughs> Are you sure? So I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I could have been. Um, anyways, he like he realizes what he's doing and he stops and then he he wants to help her. He picks her up dramatically, starts carrying her away. Mm -hmm. um, intermixed with those scenes is uh, with is one with Baltar who's sitting in his lab and he's like kind of worried over the election. He states that he's going, he's like, I'm going to lose six uh, head six tells him if he has, he, uh, if he has faith, everything will turn out exactly as it should. Um, and Baltar is kind of saying he just doesn't like to lose, which I have some things to talk about with that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, he doesn't want to fear. Do you hear that? I do. What is that? It's a robot. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. It's creeping me out. <laughs> <laughs> So uh. Baltar here, he <laughs> he seems really frustrated. Like he's talking about that he's going to be publicly humiliated. But what he says to her is that she's singing the same old song and he's tired of the melody. And, you know, he's not wrong about that either. She has been saying this over and over again. You should have faith. God has a plan for you. But so often the things that she says are part of God's plan. Like Hera is a perfect example. You're, we are supposed to raise this child and now the child's gone. So like, if this was God's plan, why isn't it happening? Like it, I can imagine for him, it's hard to have faith in what she's saying. Yeah. The Lord works in mysterious ways, I guess. I guess. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, from from a, from a, his perspective, yeah, I, I'd be frustrated too. If you're telling me the like, oh, it's all part of the plan, but like you're you're living through a terrible time, and you're trying to tell me this is supposed to be good for me eventually. So I don't know. Anyways, uh, he he doesn't. He also doesn't want to fear public humiliation. Um, she tells him he's been chosen to lead the people by Almighty God. He's questioning it, like the baby that he's supposed to protect. She says, "Don't let your anger drive you to blasphemy." Right. Which is interesting. I mean, he's not religious like she is, and he only, um. He's only con- conveniently religious when he needs to be when she's threatening him. So then she slams his head on the desk mm-hmm. and tells him to get his act together. <laughs> uh, right then, uh, Zarek enters, and it appears Baltar is resting, um, and, and Balt- uh, Zarek asks him if he's ready, and Baltar plays it off, uh, says he was just taking it out. Um, interspersed with those scenes is one with Rosalind who is rehearsing her um, upcoming debate and she see her tearing up cards and throwing them on the floor. I love this. Mm-hmm. I love this. I don't know if it's the way that Mary McDonald performs it or just the action of memorizing what's on the cards and then tearing them up. And like she says later that this is a thing that she always does. Maybe it's a superstition or a ritual, but she used to do this before testifying at committee hearings. And I don't know. It just like, that's so interesting. Yeah, it is really cool. I think uh, in the commentary, Ron Moore says that he like, I think it was David Icke or Michael Reimer. Like one of them like hated, hated it. Really? <laughs> Yeah, and he was like, no, I had to fight for this. Like, he's like, I just thought it was really cool. And yeah, because he, he, he didn't like, I think, wh- whichever one of them that didn't like it, um, he just said that, like, he he didn't think that it would be, like, he didn't like the laughing and all that stuff, but. Oh, see, I love that too. Yeah, like, I like it. Like, it's not like, I, I can see where it, it. Not out of character isn't the word, but it's like we haven't really seen that side of her mm-hmm. before. Um, but it, it like kind of, I don't know, it makes her more like a lived in, fleshed out, yeah, character and person. It's like she, she has a whole life, yeah, and there are all these little quirks and things that she had. And she, she gives us a little background about herself, debate team or whatever, yeah, when she's, she was in high school. She says that she used to get the giggles before debate team and before debating in high school and. Also, like, that's such a human characteristic to have. Like, people do this. They laugh at inappropriate moments. It's a way of releasing tension. Like, I wish that I laughed at inappropriate moments more instead of getting, like, super anxious and, like, you know, gonna make myself sick. It would be such a nice, like, release to just be, like, just laughing even though it's inappropriate. Yeah, so she's breaking up, she's tearing up the cars, and um, Adama, uh, she tells Adama, she, she memorizes the talking points and tears them up and lets the pieces fall where they may. 
Um, Adama says uh, that his dad used to do that um, before, like his court cases. He would, but he would he would break pencils. I think his dad's name was Joe Adama. I can't remember. Joseph, I yeah. Africa. Joseph, yeah. In my notes, I wrote Joe Adama, but I never actually looked that up to see if that's <laughs> what his name was. Um, uh, who played Who played pencils. his dad in Caprica? Is Isai Morales? Is it Isai Morales? Yeah. 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 I don't think that uh, that he would be called Joe. <laughs> what, like Isai? Isai Morales? Yeah, it's just not dignified enough. It has to be Joseph. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just like when I was writing when I was writing my notes, I was just kind of like, I vaguely remembered the name, but I just was being also a little glib. <laughs> um, but I I also didn't know if that actually was his his name. <laughs> Um, Remember how the, how well cast that show was, and nobody watched it. Yeah, it was because it was it was boring. Yeah, it took it took a whole season to actually get interesting. Yeah, and then right when it got interesting, it got canceled. Yeah, so I mean, you have Eric Stoltz and Isai Morales, and you can't make this interesting for two seasons. Like that's a problem. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Joe Adama used to break pencils. <laughs> <laughs> and he's that was to break preconceptions and work with what you have. Uh, Rosalind likes that, and so she breaks one. Um, and then she asks, what happens if the moderator doesn't have a pencil? And then Adama says, uh, then you're screwed. Then you're pretty screwed. Um, then she starts laughing uncontrollably and... Blah, blah blah. She says she has. She used to get the diggle, the giggles. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's from Arrow. Um, the giggles before debate in high school. Then uh, Tori enters, and Adama escorts Rosalind down the hallway um, while Rosalind is laughing. And because I love Tori so much, she's like she is not amused. Nope. And she says, "Great. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love that. I love Tori so much." And then um, the um, last sort of like interspersed scene is Starbuck, who's giving the details of the mission to go back to Caprica. It's a volunteer-only type thing. Um, Gaeta tells us that the heavy raider navigation is installed onto the raptors, and they are capable of much longer jumps than the raptors. Lots of techno babble. They can make it now in less than 10 jumps. They couldn't, um, but they couldn't interface it before but now they have a way to do it enter Sharon um, all the pilots they don't seem happy when she enters the room um, Starbuck immediately like jumps up to defend her um, she's, she says if we need to use a Cylon so be it anyway no one really declines from the mission and then Apollo enters and tells them <laughs> Apollo enters and tells them what they already know. Yep. <laughs> does that a few times. Yeah, he does it again. <laughs> then he has uh, he has Gata turn on the wireless to hear the presidential deba- uh, debate. Kind of while that's happening, Starbuck asks if Sharon is okay. She wants to, and uh, Sharon just wants to go back to her cell, and Hilo follows her out. While they're in the hallway, he tells Sharon to not shut her out because uh, Sharon's acting very sort of like distant and low energy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and she's like, it's not, she's like, not really that. She says something dark is coming. She could feel it. It's lurking out there, which the music that they play through this entire opening segment is called something dark is coming. Well, I was going to bring up the music, um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's incredibly effective and Mm -hmm. it sets the tone really really well and i really love it the other thing is that the teaser this this is all the teaser is accompanied by 11 minutes of consecutive music there is approximately 55 minutes of music between parts one and two and all of it was composed by bear mccrary in the span of a week oh wow there was something else oh so before um or when Apollo sort of dismisses them, like, hey, here's here's what you're going to be missing. And then everybody sort of stays or goes. Um, <clears throat> Leah Cairns, who plays Racetrack, said mm-hmm. in an interview in 2006 that there was a fan who wrote a short fan fiction romance story on the message boards between Racetrack and Hilo. And <laughs> Leah Cairns decided to work that into her character's backstory. So she plays her scenes as if Racetrack is attracted to Hilo and jealous of Sharon. Tomo was aware of this. So when he was playing Hilo, he plays Hilo as if he recognizes this, but he is not attracted to her. He loves Sharon. So in the opening scene of this episode, when Sharon is brought into the Pegasus pilot briefing room, um, Cairns asked director Michael Reimer if they could film a few extra shots working in these elements that she had developed as her backstory. And he agreed. So there were several extra shots where that were filmed for this scene. And so like after Hilo walks over to Sharon, racetrack looks jealously over at them and Hilo notices this while Sharon doesn't, but those shots did not make it into the episode. But I think that that's really interesting that Racetrack, like, developed this whole, like, because she read a fanfic, <laughs> she developed yeah. this whole backstory for Racetrack and Hilo. And that, like, Tama was like, okay, yeah, let's play with that. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. And actually, it actually explains even more uh, the, 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 whatever. Why Racetrack hates the Cylon <laughs> so much. And Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was the mutiny. I kept wanting, mm-hmm. I kept wanting to call it insurrection in my head, and then I was like, "No, the mutiny." Isn't she part of um, the like council that um, is dealing with collaborators too? Was she? I don't. Oh no, that's Celix. Yeah, yeah, it was Celix. It wasn't. It wasn't racetrack. Yeah, Celix was another one though. Wasn't she? A... What? Wasn't she? A... Wasn't she a mutineer? mutineer? can't remember if Celix was part of that, but I know that she was pissed off because she was all into Anders and he just, you know, oh, well, could yeah, never let go right. of his love for Starbuck. Uh, good Lord. <laughs> this, is good. this Galactica is so messy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And one more thing about this scene. Um, in this scene where they're listening to the presidential debate, the footage of them listening is actually reused footage from Final Cut. 
what do you, what do you what do you mean? Oh, you mean like the people around the fleet listening? Is that what you're saying? It says the scene of the pilots in the rec room listening to the presidential debate is reused footage from Final Cut when they were oh, watching okay. the documentary. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, yeah, speaking of the presidential debate, um, the newsman from the Muppets is narrating, <laughs> is narrating the hosting This guy debate. Smiley? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually had a whole thing, because I, I thought it was Guy Smiley, but it's not. Guy Smiley was like a game show. Oh, host. right. This is, all, this is all stuff I found out yesterday, because <laughs> I, I was like, because I wrote Guy Smiley at first for myself, so I remember. And then I was like, no, wait, actually, like... I, there's something else and I looked it up and it was like yeah there was like a completely different there was like a news guy and then there was like guy smiley either way this guy totally reminds me of the newsman from the the Muppets he's like narrating and hosting the debate um, Baltar is there and he's waiting for Rosalind and then she enters they shake hands and then uh, she says I'm going to wipe the floor with you Gaius and he says you must be losing your mind again. <laughs> and then she says, if that's the best you can come up with, you really are in trouble. Good luck. <laughs> but I'm not going to lie. I think Baltar kind of ate on that line. I can't I can't sleep on that. Like, that was actually a really good comeback. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 Rosalind. I... Well, I think in this first debate, she actually had one over on him. Yeah, like, but I'm just talking about that. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, that little line. Um, she's definitely in control of everything at this point. Like, she's solidly yeah. in, like, gonna win, right? Mm -hmm. We have um, kind of, we jump a little bit later, and then we have Tyrrell, who's speaking in a room. We have sort of, like, flashes of uh, of him having his nightmare and then waking up and beating Callie. And then we have him speaking with someone and it's uh, brother Cavill. And dun, dun, dun. He, yeah, he like <laughs> Tyrrell's like he wanted a, a religious council because his father was a priest. So he didn't like really want a therapist. And there's actually, this actually kind of interesting is in the uh, commentary. Ron Moore talks about how this concept of having, um, Tyrrell speak with a therapist was like on the board but he didn't like he wanted to think of like what would it be from Tyrrell's perspective and so after kind of going from there he formulated this whole thing about having it be a priest so this uh this cowboy guy I don't know something's going on with him he doesn't seem like your regular sort of like priest the they two of them go back and forth cowboy He's it's he's like he he feels like he has a disdain for religion. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then eventually, eventually, uh, Tyrrell's like, "Are you sure you're a priest?" <laughs> yeah. Well, because he says, "Do you know how useless prayer is?" Yeah. And he calls it like, like half remembered lines of bad poetry. Yeah. And it gets you nothing. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think he's. Like half wrong. I don't think he's wrong either, <laughs> but I'm not a priest, so I'm not right, right. like I don't need to believe in prayer. Gods don't answer prayer. 
Uh, he says he's been preaching longer than you've been sucking down oxygen. And at the time, I was like, okay, valid. But now we know that isn't even true because, yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe literally true because whatever is going on with the final five, they weren't, they haven't been alive like for thousands of years. They were like in hibernation or something. But technically, it's not true. Well, I mean, this is this is my this might be like a good time to bring this up that i wanted to talk about was just the whole i remember so when i when i first watched this i always found it interesting because like at the time i was like oh wait is is tyrell a cylon you know i didn't think he and, was um not here yeah. anyway yeah but then you know and knowing what takes place later um and i was watching this i was watching this sequence and it actually like the like a little like a little bit later too that this whole sequence with Cavill and Tyrrell, like it actually fits beautifully into this idea that they came up with later mm -hmm. um about the final five and everything. Mm -hmm. There was like a question for me. It was like, was that was this even an intention at this point? And I don't think it was. I never thought it was. I don't think it is now. And then after listening to the commentary, I'm even pretty more sure that it never was an intention. But this, at least Turl as one of these, is actually, it fits very beautifully. And um, just with the scene itself, it just shows you, like, it's it feels like it's intentionally planting seeds for what comes up yeah. later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because um, otherwise, like, it, like, retroactively makes this make sense. Because if... If what happens later didn't happen, then really, like, why was Tyrol behaving this way? Why was he having these nightmares? Why was he suddenly afraid he was a Cylon? Like, what was, what was triggering that? Other than yeah. like maybe his own guilt. The only thing I oh go ahead. I, I just don't know what he's what he's feeling guilty about. Uh, you know, like Sharon was actually feeling something like and he says it in one of these conversations that boomer was feeling for a long time like she was going to do something and she was trying to stop herself she didn't know what she was going to do but she felt like there was something she was going to do so if he's feeling similarly why if he's not a cylon yeah it's so it's funny because this the the commentary actually is to me as I watched it is kind of sus because um, it seemed very surface level and knowing what happens in the next episode, I could kind of tell that he like Ron Moore was being kind of evasive about Cavill, mm -hmm. <laughs> like he never really like he was talking about it from like a, oh yeah we have this actor we didn't we never thought we could get dean stockwell and you know whatever um but he never went any, like he never even like there's one scene where in hindsight i can intimate that he was like connecting the idea of cavill um to being a cylon a little bit later but um i mean yeah, obviously then... they knew that he was because it's revealed in the next episode that he is Right. Yeah. Well, so what I'm saying is, in the commentary, I don't really necessarily believe <laughs> anything that they say. So when he talks about when he was talking about um, Tyrrell and Tyrrell thinking he was like a Cylon or Tyrrell wanting to kill himself, 
because uh, he was afraid that he would like hurt people and all that other stuff. It makes me, they, they were very direct about saying that that's what the motivation was for Tyrrell. Uh, like literally it was because he was afraid he um, would hurt other people because of his connection with Sharon. Sharon didn't know she was a Cylon, so maybe I am too. But with the revelation like a season later, I'm like, was he actually planting seeds and he was just like not being like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just was like, and, but because they never, I, my understanding is that they didn't come up with the, the concept of the final five till like much later. And then they actually had to kind of go back and make sure that it could make sense for the ones that they chose. Yeah. And Tyrrell to me always made the most sense actually. Um, and you know, coin toss for the rest of them for me but this scene makes it seem like that was intentional from the start and they just are being super secretive about it i mean if we go like as we're going back through all of this you know and analyzing it yeah like some of them it it's hard to reconcile ty to an extent, yeah. it, the, it's yeah, he's it, the hardest one. It's hard to reconcile Tori a little bit, but not really. Like even even with the you know uh, I don't know, but it it still in on a certain level makes sense to me because these people somehow got themselves into positions of being adjacent to power in one way or another, or all being you know, part of, like, important parts of this ship um, or, you know, this society, except for Anders, but even Anders, like, he took the lead on being a resistance fighter. Like, all of the, I don't know, I guess to me, like, it, it did make sense. It's just hard to look back and be like, Ty is so anti-Cylon. But why? But then when, you know, even when it's revealed that he is one, his actions, knowing that he's a Cylon, is still kind of like, you know, these these people are bullshit. <laughs> like, he still doesn't <laughs> like them. He still thinks they're, like, awful. He likes one of them. Well, yes. Just the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, anyways. Because it's, 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 to me, it just seems sort of... Uh... Even like with Anders and and Tori, it seems almost just sort of like convenient. Like, like Tori just shows up a few episodes before only because Billy has died, right? So it's like, what, like, where, like, what has she been doing this entire time? You know? That's kind of why I like that she turns i mean sorry guys for spoilers for next season but that's kind of why i like that she is a cylon it's because she was there and she wasn't able to get she wasn't important we didn't know who she was and then now we know i don't know like it that made sense to me too like she maneuvered herself to a place of power Sure, she was taking advantage of an opportunity, but there's got to be something in that, like, Cylon brain of, like, here's my opening. 
whether she knew it or not. When we when we get there, uh, I definitely like I because I, I in our like our our group that we have on Facebook, I like I I remember writing something to that effect of like I think there was like a conversation about like uh, twists or something that we thought were great, and I, I kind of I brought up Battlestar because um, it's like I love the twist, but I also have thoughts about it, you know. Um, and nothing is like nothing bad. Um, I I do think that I remember when it when it happened. I remember Ron Moore saying how, like again, like he actually went back and made sure it made sense for everybody that it could line up and all that other stuff. Um, but I thought it was a brilliant twist. Um, it, but there were elements of them writing themselves in a corner and trying to write the, their way out of it. And there was some stuff that happens in season four where they were like exposition heavy um, scenes to try to explain yeah. <laughs> how all of it could happen. Um, and uh, some of it was like, okay, we got to wrap this up. You know, um, some of that was also, I think, writer strike related. But anyway, we we're like way off topic. Starbuck uh, enters uh, Apollo's quarters. And he's like, good hunting. It's a good plan. And then he starts to mansplain her plan. Yeah. And and she reminds him. She's like, yeah. She reminds him that she knows I wrote it. Yeah. I know the plan, Lee. I wrote it. <laughs> Douchebag. <laughs> Fucking Lee. It's so hard to like him. Oh, man. I was laughing, but I mean, because I mean, obviously, it's because it was like awkward, and he didn't know like like what to say or how to say it, whatever. So, anyways, he like he just you know he's like, I hope you find him, Kara. I really do, and I'm sure you do too, Jamie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, who doesn't want Anders? Come on, he's amazing. He's a cool guy. Um, on Colonial One, Tori reads over the news wires, uh, the news of the debate, um, and, uh, the press is definitely on Rosalind's side, but Tori reminds her that the religious contingent will kind of bear on some of that. Mm -hmm. So, and in Baltar's lab, Zarek seems to be, seems to keep hammering, like, the religious thing himself, like. And Baltar definitely isn't on board. And Zarek tells him um, things will turn around. And then Six appears right then. And kind of cool. She's like leans on Zarek's shoulder mm -hmm. um, and says that he's right. You'll see. Um, Baltar then goes on this little rant. I love this rant. Yeah. He goes on this rant against Six, but like talking to Zarek and it's really well done. How blind um, I'm being. Yes, thank you. Things are going to turn around. What is that advice? <laughs> <laughs> Zarek Zarek going to be like, "What is going on right thank now?" Thank you for your keen <laughs> insight and your astounding political acumen. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> So the uh, the Raptor fleet um, is getting ready for their first jump. 
There's a huge Cylon brain connected to the raptor and Sharon. Yeah. Big, a big slab of a uh, shawarma. So, <laughs> I have a question. Um, do yeah. you think they gave Sharon a choice in this? Uh, yeah, I think, you know what? I think so because I was really notice- noticing how Starbuck was jumping to Sharon's defense. And it seems like she's gone through her little cycle of being resistant to Sharon, but also, but like kind of softening towards her. Um, so, I mean, I do think so. I just wonder what the pitch um, was, because if Sharon said no, this wouldn't have worked. Yeah. They need Sharon yeah, to like hook in and give them these coordinates. Without her, this mm-hmm. plan doesn't work. So, like, she's not exactly happy with her situation or the people on the ship or like, why would she, why is she doing this? Like, I would really like to know why Sharon agreed to it. Yeah. There definitely is like a disconnect. They, they lost the baby uh, two episodes ago, right? No, last episode. Was it the last episode? Yeah. Last? So in universe, it's been a couple of weeks, but like, you know, like that's why I wonder if, if she was given a choice, she's brought into the ready room in shackles still. She's not, she's not like handcuffed on the Raptor, but she, I don't know if she plays this as she's a hundred percent, like, like this was her idea. I, I feel like she was basically told like, we need you to do this. So you're going to do it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we can really answer that. It's a, it's an interesting co- thing to contemplate. Yeah, for sure. Because I don't think they uh, ever really explain, like, even remotely. And I, I mean, maybe they do in the next episode, and I just have forgotten. But, um, I, I would just like to know her motivation for agreeing to this, if, if she was given the choice at all. So while they're getting ready to jump, uh. Starbuck requests to speak to Adama, and she she says Galactica actually, um, and says, "Did I ever say thank you?" And he says, "No." But then again, that wouldn't be the first, wouldn't it? Um, he just says, "Come back in one piece," and that's thanks enough. Sharon, meanwhile, says she can't believe Hilo. Oh, here's the, here's the answer. No. Hilo talked to her. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's. I don't remember. It's like a, it's a like a, a small little line, but yeah, Sharon, Sharon says she can't believe Hilo talked her into it, so that's how it happened. I guess. I, um, okay, well, ignore everything I said before. <laughs> I got that line. <laughs> I mean, I actually wrote it down. I didn't even remember it. So like, it's so like small. Um, but anyways. Uh, he's all like, it's, uh, you know, it's you and me from now on, baby, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so she says she can't get Hera out of her head. She doesn't use Hera. Did they name the baby Hera already or no? Like, yes. Her, her, in the last her, one, she called her Hera. Her, her, okay. Because, yeah, okay. um, in the deleted scenes, um, Deanna calls her Hera and Gina says, don't call her that. We'll, we'll call her number 13. Hmm. I'm glad they cut that. Yeah. Um, I would like to list off the pilots who checked in. Yeah. So we have Headcase, Swordsman, mm-hmm. Shoestrap, Scumball, Milko, Skyler, Ronin, Break, Bullion, Staker, 
Hamster, Bo, Chaser, Gadama, Charlie Man, and Star Cloud. I'm glad you did that because I noticed that I noted the first couple, and then I was like, I don't want to do all this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have racetrack uh, and racetrack and, and skulls, right? And then Callan, whoever Callan is. But some of these names, I mean, Bullion. It's very. I mean, <laughs> Gadama. It's very. Uh, it's very. Uh, I. I as a writer and I talk to other writers and they're trying to name like characters especially that don't like really factor into anything sometimes it's just like you know you'll ask friends for like names or you just like just use lots of random things sometimes they're inside jokes some things you think are funny yeah Charlie (laughs) that's hilarious actually uh, and then from a from an in universe like answer, you know, it's like it's it seems very like uh, frat piloty, you know. Well, you get your call sign from from like a feature of your. You get them from yeah, like your nicknames. Experience. Yeah, yeah. So she uh, the while uh, Hilo and Sharon are talking, you know, the Marines in the on board are kind of giving them looks. Yeah, <laughs> and. Hilo claps back, and I just thought that was funny. Um, I would like to point out that this is the first time since the pilot that Hilo is seen doing his job as an ECO. Oh, wow. I I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's totally, uh, he has a job. Yeah. Like Tommy on Martin. You ain't got no job. (laughs) We jump to the most important raptor in the group, um, <laughs> racetrack at Skulls, and they're prepping for the same mission. And the entire the entire fleet of raptors does their jump, and then we have one last jump, and then it jumps into like this cloudy soup or something, it's a nebula, with just one yeah, with one raptor there, and then. Um, the racetrack and skulls, they realize that they didn't go the right way, basically. They kinda like banter back and forth. Um, but then the rest of the the rest of the mission realizes that they lost those two. Um and Starbucks says that mission rules say that they keep going unless they lose three. So they have to find their way back home. Uh back on Galactica, Cavill and Tyrol, um, Cavill asks what happened with Tyrrell. And Tyrrell, he's like, you can't believe he did that to Callie. And Cavill asks him, like, were you having a nightmare? Tyrrell says he doesn't remember, but when we are flashing to, like, the dreams that he had, mm-hmm. uh, he says no, but then Cavill keeps pressing him. And Tyrrell, uh, he, he relays the dream. So he's climbing up this ladder stairs. Uh, he stands up on this balcony railing deal. Spreads his arms out and then falls down to the deck. Yep. It's like he says that he's had this dream every night, um, the same for the last couple of weeks. Um, He doesn't remember if it's the same dream, but all he remembers is Callie waking him up. Uh, And then Cavill says, uh, she stopped you um, and woke you up before fulfilling the secret desire to kill yourself. (laughs) What? So... 
Um, and Tyrell's like, I don't want to kill myself. Or I don't have a secret yeah. desire to kill myself. And Cavill's like, yeah, you're right. It's not a secret. It's obvious. Why, you ask? <laughs> well, you're silent. But first, let's get back to Racetrack at Skulls. They, uh, they're floating through the, the nebula. It looks like this mist. They discover a glitch on their Navcom firmware. There's a glitch in the Navcom firmware. Um, a racetrack, a racetrack actually is making me laugh in this whole sequence because she totally is like she totally fracked up. <laughs> and it's like this, it's like this uh, feel. It's like, oh man, we messed up. Oh man, instead of like this tightly buttoned up military mm-hmm. kind of deal. So I, I just, I really like that. Uh, Skulls uh, bites, kind of bites back. Is like you're the one that gave me the. Uh, the coordinates like this is on you um anyways they eventually realize that there's a large planetary body beneath them and there's so much dreadus interference that it doesn't actually register when uh you're looking for it and they flip they kind of flip the raptor over and then we can finally see the planet and racetrack declares that it's habitable by looking at the scans mm-hmm. of the ship so the conditions on the planet, like we get, we're back on Galactica. They're kind of going over the stuff, and the conditions conditions on the planet aren't like super great, but it would do to actually live. So Apollo starts to uh, organize a survey mission, and then a little bit later, uh, D and Gator they're in the head, and they're kind of having this like, you know, uh, she's like a uh, D's like, oh, they found wildlife, fruit trees, rivers of milk and honey, but you know. Um, it's like you know, obviously, it's like an allusion to children of Israel and Exodus uh, in the in the Bible, but that's also connected to the origins of the show, which um, because it's basically like um, Battlestar Galactica is kind of like space Mormons. So mm. okay, yeah, yeah. Well. The rivers of milk and honey obviously is sarcastic because Gata's like, yeah, you forgot the lakes of Ambrosia. Right, right. But then yeah. he says that the planet's actually pretty barren um, and that there's, like, along the equator, it's habitable, but not great. Um, but then he says something yeah. pretty important. He says, the best part is with all the Dreadus interference from the nebula, the Cylons will probably never find it. Yeah. And then we hear that again from Mr. Baltar. Or we hear it from the news people, but where did where did Baltar's team hear this from? Where did what do you say? Where did Baltar hear it from? Yeah, because Baltar starts like there's a point later where uh yeah in the very next scene he it seems like he's going over well yes but then later on Tori is saying that Baltar's making headway with the idea because the planet is hidden in a nebula it'll provide a refuge from the Cylons so after Baltar like uses this issue as his new like campaign talking point his like this is his hail mary then people the polls are also going up because of these things that baltar is saying about the about the planet being hidden in a nebula that it will hide them from from cylons which is exactly what gata says here and later on we have gata 
working with Baltar. So I think that this is sort of the, this is the starting point of Gato, like, helping Baltar out. Mm, okay. I mean, he does, and we see him doing that, I guess, in the next episode, so that definitely would have been... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> like, he yeah, helps sure. during the election, but, all you know, and then he goes and works for Baltar later, but, yeah. like, I think this is the, this is sort of the, the starting point, because... This thing that he says to D is he he's the person we hear say it, but then when we hear it repeated later, it's Tori talking about what is causing Baltar to surge ahead in the polls, and it's the same exact, pretty much the exact same wording. Well, first, like in the so the very next scene, uh, you know, Baltar doesn't even care about the planet. Um, uh, Six appears and tells him that he's not seeing the bit picture um and meanwhile over in the corner tom zarek's brain is working things out basically he's like you're a genius uh <laughs> and then uh baltar is basically like yes i am and six is like pay attention you're about to win the election and then zarek says uh decides that this is the issue that they should use to basically divide <laughs> the fleet and win the election i guess uh permanent settlement of the planet um, Zarek makes the case that going outside will be huge for people and that Six says Baltar should listen. Um, He's a smart, sexy up. man, just like you. Yeah. <laughs> give up to Six, um, but then give up on Earth. Yes. Yeah. Um, so when I, you know, in the commentary, uh, Ron Moore is talking about like the inception of this whole thing and it's like, you know, what, because he knew he wanted to do like th this concept of an election, but like what organically could he use to make uh, Rosalind like lose? Mm -hmm. And so like, this is like, you know, this is what they came up with. And I think it was probably more complicated than just that because of the direction that the show goes into after this. Um, no, but this was perfect. Baltar wasn't going to win. And it, it makes sense. Like I, I can understand having having been, uh, you know, I was like cooped up for like a year and a half or whatever. <laughs> it's just like desire to just be outside, and that's like he's kind of like just like a human instinct or need, mm -hmm. right? He kind of talks about how, like, the only people that have really been on a planet since they all left. Or like he's like the people like they haven't gotten their back yet, but the people that come back from Caprica and that's not really a good experience, and then the people that went down to Cobol and that's not real a really good experience either, and it's only like a really like a handful of people that have had been had that experience. Mm -hmm. Everybody else has been cooped up in a ship for the last however many months. Yeah. So, and then this is like like another kind of point. I wanted to like talk about just a little bit, but it's, it's, it's really interesting how, and I think it's a reflection of, of, of real life, um, how, you know, like people find issues to wedge themselves, mm -hmm. uh, just to win without actually thinking about the benefit of the collective, yeah. you know, um, like Baltar doesn't even believe in this, but he's like doing this just to win. Yeah. And it's like, it's like wow, hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, what what politicians have we seen do that? 
Right. Like it's like he, like Baltar actually scientifically he he's the one that knows that this planet isn't like going to be it's not sustainable. The answer. Yeah. And like at the very like he said he think he says a few years. Yeah. But it's like but he just oh but but I can win. So I'm going to go I'm going to push this. Well, it's considering where crazy. we go with this story where you know, we do go down to this planet and then there's this whole sort of Iraq war allegory that happens. This is a really good example of the way that George W. Bush used everybody's fear to get reelected. Now, Roslyn is not the George Bush in this situation. Baltar is. So he's just trying to get elected, but he... He's finding a thing that everybody's going to latch on to that will help him win. And with with W, he, you know, we had 9-11 happen. And when the re-election happened, he was, at that point, he was running against McCain, right? Uh, no. For the, no, he it was John against? Kerry. He was running against John Kerry. John Kerry. Yeah. Um, he really leaned into the fear of if there's a change in regime, then it's going to be unstable. We, you know, we're in a war. We have to keep things consistent. And if, you know, if it's not me, they're going to attack us again. And and playing into that fear and the fact that John Kerry was just useless and ineffective, um, that that swayed a lot of people. You know, like we can question the results of the first election, the 2000 election forever. We can question those results, but we can't question the results in 2004. Like Bush won that handily, but he won that because of of playing on people's fear. And that that was the brilliance of Dick Cheney, making sure like people are already scared. It's only been a couple of years since 9-11. We need to lean into this. So here we have Baltar, who does not believe this. And I'm sure that that Bush and Cheney didn't believe what they were saying either. So Baltar doesn't believe that this planet is the right answer. Rosalind is right here. This is a rest stop. This is not someplace you settle. But between Baltar and Zarek, they know if we talk about people being able to have ground under their feet, have sky above them, have real light, not be cooped up in ships, not be constantly on the run, that's going to do the thing. That's going to turn the tide. The The little twist here, though, is that, and they talk about this in the debate a little bit later, but the little twist here is um, he's actually selling hope. Yeah. And she's selling the quote-unquote fear. True. I, I know. That's why, like, all of this stuff that they do in this show that, you know, made me uncomfortable and also like exhilarated when it was happening is how they turn the experience that we had, the people that we trusted in reality are sort of wrong. Uh, but also like the thing, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure so much when we get to new Caprica, but the fact that the people whose side we were on in that situation was the people who were being oppressed, the people who were, had been invaded Mm-hmm. When at the time we were in the middle of the Iraq war where there were suicide bombers and there were, you know, there was all this insurgency and fighting back. And we as Americans were like, oh, they're the bad guys and look what they're doing. 
And then we're showing it from this side of like, oh, wait, are we the bad guys? We might be the bad guys in this. Like, it was just... Don't use that word, we, with me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was... I used to get in fights. But you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know... No, I, I know what you're saying. Were we, saying. were the Americans, what we did, what this country did, were we were we wrong? And, I mean, yes, we we were. It was, it's complicated. It doesn't come down to right and wrong. It's, it's not one person or one side's right, one side's wrong. I think both sides are wrong. Whatever. But, like, it turned that on its head where we had to think about it in a different way. And that's what's happening here in this debate, too. It's like, Roslyn is right. But what Baltar is doing in selling hope, sometimes that's what's going to win. Because people don't want yeah. to know that the reality is that this place is not sustainable. This is not the answer. I know you want it to be. But it's not. Yeah. And here's why. And people don't want the truth. As we have learned over the last 25 years, people don't want the truth. It's the, it's the, uh, the insidiousness of him not of him knowing like he's going to sell hope, but knowing that there is actually no hope there. He's like leading them yeah. down a path to destruction. He just, which he is, just wants to win. He doesn't care. He just about wants them. to win. Yeah. And then it just made me think about like, God, like, that's probably like, you know, ninety five percent of politicians. Oh and... yeah, like there was a reason why when I did a rewatch of this, like during it was, I think it was pre COVID, but in the midst of of the Trump era, where I was like, is Baltar Trump? <laughs> because of stuff like this, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what is good for the people who are voting. What matters is that I win. Yeah. It's very – I mean, I would take Baltar over Trump, sure. But this, these <laughs> moments are very like that mentality of winning is what's important. Nothing else matters. Yeah. The people don't matter. And I don't think that Baltar ever – until maybe much, much later, I don't think Baltar really changes his stance on that. He only is out – he wants to take care of himself first. He's the only one that matters. <laughs> He been he basically uh, well I mean we'll get to this like I mean actually we'll talk about it next episode but it, it's it's kind of reminiscent of uh, Scar and the Lion King so <laughs> <laughs> the Pride Lands are like you know he's just kind of like he, he's turned whatever they had into like something worse but he's like but hey I won you know um, one thing that's kind of funny about this uh, interaction between um, Rosalind and uh, Baltar when they get to the, the 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 second debate that we see is that uh, Ron Moore actually says he, that Baltar is very much like Clinton um, in the way he's delivering this stuff. I thought that was really interesting. And he, he was like, don't get me wrong, I like Bill Clinton a lot, but... Is very Clinton-esque of him. Did he and explain what he meant by Clinton-esque? Like, what aspect of it was Clinton-esque? He didn't, like, go into it, but I, I kind of got what he was... Uh, I think he was just sort of, is like... Is it the charm factor? The, yeah, the charm, yeah. the salesmanship kind of thing. I think that's what I was I was reading from what, what he was saying. Um, he's, like, he's solidly, you know, like he said, he's like, don't get me wrong, I like Clinton a lot, but... And I can I can totally see that it's like not a one to one thing, right. but just on the surface, this is what Baltar was doing. 
I mean, this is this kind of these kind of conversations are the kinds of conversations that I don't think I could have articulated as well back then as I can now because you know hindsight it's a lot easier to sort of pick up the patterns and like I recognized during this like what they were doing mm -hmm. um as far as real world versus you know what they're showing on here and how it applied and how it was influenced but I wasn't able to articulate it in quite the same way back then to have the these kind of conversations that I think are really important when it comes to this show. Mm -hmm. You know, like talking about robots and everything is is really fun too. But but <laughs> why I think this show is important <laughs> is because of the political stuff that it put in that really makes you think about the world that we live in. And yeah. I think that that's what's really great about a lot of science fiction is that it makes you think about your the real world and and how like, all good art is going to do that. It's going to pull from real life and and make you think. And I don't know. That's why I always felt like this show was just a step above other shows. Like, you know, like the West Wing is great, but it's a fantasy, whereas this is literally fantasy. <laughs> but it makes me think about like the things that were happening in our world at that time. It made me think about it in a different way. Yeah. Because what the news was telling me or what news I was paying attention to just made me think that it was very black and white. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. And then I watched this and I was like, huh? Are we, are we the bad guys? Are we also bad guys? Is really the question I was asking. It's not like, we're not are we're not heroes, are we? What we did was wrong too, and I think that that's interesting. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I used to get in fights with people about it, and I I I that whole time like it always feels surreal to me because I was just like, like when I found out we were like going to war, and I was watching the debates, I was like, do you do you people not see what's happening? And but everyone was just so like convinced we needed to do that mm -hmm. and i think it's because we got punched in the mouth yeah. and so there was like this you know but i was trying i was trying to talk to people about that i remember like you know even my parents was like like but they found this or they found that and i'm like no <laughs> no yeah no they and, didn't uh, yeah <laughs> find yeah, anything they didn't. I, like i just like no do you people not see what's happening and they but everyone was just so like you know, they had to get their their uh, little like American ego thing back on track, and so they were just like on board with all of it. And yeah. I just was like, that was, was that was a, the beginning, was like the real, true like weaponization of patriotism. Yeah, and yeah, 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 <laughs> and, <laughs> and yet, what we've been through since twenty sixteen those days just feel like salad days like like, like i'll <laughs> do i prefer w and cheney over what we had between 2016 and 2020 i don't know do yeah. i prefer that over like the people that are invading and hijacking our country now yes <laughs> give me back the war criminals please <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh the fbi is gonna show up at my door <laughs> <laughs> i i feel i mean i don't know depend, it depends <laughs> on who you ask because like like you know some 
uh, MAGA type will think that the FBI is on your side. I guess that's true. Maybe not the FBI, <laughs> but the, but you know, the yeah, CIA but or the might, NSA then, might be like, watch list. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, but then like uh, some Democrat type will, will be like, oh, yeah, they're coming to get you. You know, who knows? <laughs> so, who knows? No, I'll sleep with one eye open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we're on Colonial One and, and Rosalind and Tori are kind of going back and forth about like the fact that Baltar has introduced this idea mm-hmm. to the the fleet. You know, Rosalind, you know, says that it's not, you know, this this whole thing is it wouldn't be sustainable them landing there. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of beside herself about the whole thing. She says she's I think she's the one that says they would only be able to survive a few years. Baltar is saying that it's a refuge and Baltar is offering them what they want to hear is what Tori says. Uh, and you're as uh, Rosalind is giving them the bitter truth. And Tori um, says something here that is in what I have seen in reality to be uh, the opposite of what is really happening, where she says people vote their hopes, not their fears. There was a debate. <laughs> Go ahead. Don't, I mean, that's yeah. it. Like I, what oh, I've okay. seen, over the last, you know, like since since 2000, what I have seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, with a break for Obama, because I think with Obama, we did vote for hope. We did yeah. vote our hopes. Yeah. But that's because we had been through eight years of Bush and Cheney where everybody voted their fears. Um, yeah. And then we swung back the other way or the country swung back in the other direction in, in 2016 and voted fears again. Yeah. So they, they were in the commentary, they were talking about that i think ron moore was more on the like they because he i think he's the one that wrote the line that they like people vote their hopes not their fears and i think david ike was like no <laughs> like you i think he was it was david ike it was like no he thinks that it's the opposite and i actually i believe what you're i i believe it's the opposite it's like people vote their fears mm-hmm. and not their hopes because um, their fears is mostly what motivates people to take action yeah. around anything. And so um, and it's, so it's easy to like, um, you know, like you see, like a lot of times you see uh, uh, a platform and it's based on preventing like some kind of base human right. fear happening, whether it's like some kind of invasion or whatever. And I, you know, I'll, I'll even say like, not that I, I, I do believe like, climate change is a thing but i also can see how like there's an element of like this fear around that idea so i think i think people i I do think people vote their fears rather than their hopes um yeah i mean especially now i mean i'm not so sure about climate change because i feel like if like they just they've decided they don't believe it it's happening um, the people who are voting for people who would rather sit back and do nothing, but in something like, you know, refugees or people coming up from South America and Central America, like calling, making it seem like this is going to be a wave of like invaders, which isn't the case, but you know, like playing on that fear of like, they're going to come here and they're going to rape your women and steal your jobs. Like they're literally running for their lives. That's not why they would come here, but like making that a fear, turning that into a fear instead of saying what was actually happening, you know, 
closing the borders to refugees in general from wherever they may be coming from as long as they're not coming from white countries they're not allowed like that's that's playing on people's fears mm-hmm. yeah and when i when i said the climate climate change is more to me it's just more about like the choice of how it's communicated as a platform um yeah to uh, like that you're writing on not not some not not anything other than that so it's just like it's more effective to like communicate yeah like the disaster that it is to be like imagine a world that <laughs> imagine a world of a free energy where you you know it's like that that doesn't seem to work for people but it does it does work when you 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 use some kind of like the sky is falling but uh, the sky's gonna uh, fall if we don't do anything like that's the uh, that's yeah. the irony of that anyway i'm not gonna talk about climate change it's gonna make me really like amped up what i was going to say is that this in a very simplistic form is also like when you get a survey, you go, you shop somewhere, you get a survey. Most people only fill those out when they have a bad experience. They don't take the time when they have a good one. Right, right, And it's right. sort of the same thing. Yeah. Like, I'm scared, so I'm going to vote this way because they've convinced me that my fears are correct. Instead of the people who are like, okay. Not to say you're dumb or anything, but your fears are wrong. And here's why. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the good stuff because it's anger and fear are much more intensely feel, felt emotions. So playing on those works. Yeah. When people are happy and content, they're not as motivated. I think, I mean, that, I think that's just a part of our like human. It is a part of our human nature, which anatomy, is unfortunate. DNA. Like yeah, I, it's how we evolved. Until, um, for the next one day, I still work in retail. After this, I'm going to be still with my company, but on the non-retail side, which just can't wait. But right now, <laughs> a lot of what I have to focus on are surveys and the responses from surveys. I get over three thousand customers a week. I get about twenty surveys responded to. And those 20 people's opinions are weighted heavier than everyone else's who didn't fill out a survey. And the majority of people who fill out surveys are unhappy. And everybody mm -hmm. knows this, including the people who are making us care about these surveys. It's like, but we all know you're not as motivated to fill out that survey if you had a good experience. You want to complain. Yeah. So why am I make why am I putting so much importance in it when we know the facts of human nature and yet you're making me care about it and it's like on a much bigger scale is how people in this country vote. We're talking a lot about politics but it's a uh, it is a uh, the appropriate episode. Yeah. I mean <laughs> this is the beginning the real beginning of the political conversations that are going to happen because of this show. Because this is where the show really turns from survival and running from robots to, I don't know, like politics and invasion and oppression and, you know, like collaborators, collaborator. collaborators <laughs> and putting a man on trial for the crimes he committed to humanity, like... This is the juice of these of this series. This is it. Yeah, yeah. Season three is wild. Oh my god, I can't wait. This made me think about the. I think you brought it up a little bit earlier, but the episode when they uh, the council when they yeah were like, <laughs> yeah that that episode was intense. 
And, and every time I watch it, it's still intense, even though I know like it's gonna be okay for a certain character. Like leading up mm-hmm. to it, I'm just like, oh my god, oh my god, they're gonna kill him. Yeah, yeah. No, probably he was helping though. you. I mean, I guess in the end, they probably should have. <laughs> but at the time, I was just uh, like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then it would have been so sad. Oh, oh, been so sad. They they might have lost me if they hadn't done that. You know. <laughs> Cause I'm like, it's like, dude, he literally was like helping he you guys. He was helping you guys in secret. <laughs> he was deep throat. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> uh. So, um, so uh, we're back, uh, back with uh, Cavill and Chief, and then uh, the uh, Cavill says that Chief thinks he's a Cylon. Um, and th- again, this is, um, in hindsight, it's really well done <laughs> because knowing, like, kind of knowing where we end up with chief this whole sequence is like yeah like it seems directed towards him intimating or like knowing like cavill knowing what chief is and how he got placed but cavill doesn't know right yeah but the cavill would cavill would know maybe yeah cavill would know because he's the one that like did all the stuff he didn't right yeah yeah he's the one that like because so he was always trying I mean, to keep everybody else from finding out. So yeah, yeah, he's the one. He he was the one that like kind of placed them everywhere. Right, and right, right. Sort of like this, sort of like so, this, like punishment or whatever. But so why is so, he? Why is he poking at it here? <laughs> well, that's what I mean. It's like kind of like he gets called in, and he's like, he's like, "Is your side like it's like because he knows the truth, but like." He talks around it, but the, the the it's so cool because like I don't think they even like knew this at the point at this point. So just I don't know, but it's, that's why I think it just plays beautifully in hindsight. And it gets so. What is the line that he know, says? But... He's like, "You're I know you're not a Cylon because I I'm a Cylon and I haven't seen you at any of the Cylon meetings." Right, and so that again, that was one of the that was one of the lines that actually they. It was a connection because they said that in the miniseries. Six said that to, uh, I think it was in the miniseries. Six said that to Baltar. Yeah, that was like a little. When I was listening to the commentary, that was sort of like because Rumor didn't really say that. You know, like he wasn't talking about Cavill in terms of him being a Cylon. He was just talking like whatever. Um, and he mentions that line, and it was almost like he was tipping his hand a little bit. For the next episode, you know? well, the way that this um, plays is so so great because Cavill says, "I'm a Cylon. I've never seen you in any of the meetings," and then Tyrrell's like, "I can't go back and face my the people on the deck again. I can't face Callie," and Cavill's like, "Well, they're the only family you've got, and they love you, especially Callie." And he says, if you doubt your humanity and your essential nature as human as a human being, all you need to do is look to them for the salvation you've been seeking from the gods. The gods lift up those who lift up each other. And it it brings it back around to like, oh, he's not a Cylon. He's kind of a mm-hmm. dick priest, but he's not a Cylon. <laughs> right, right. So like, I just, oh, what is Cavill's motivation here? Well, I think he, I mean, to me, he's, to me, Cavill is kind of like a trickster where he, he's just like, he's a, he's a chaos agent. Yeah. So he would kind of do and say whatever 
just to... It's like he's a he's a predator playing with his food, but we don't know that yet. Because, yeah. you know, until we find out that he is a Cylon, it just seems like he's a priest and he's just kind of a dick, which is yeah. fine. And, it, and it's Dean Stockwell, yeah. so you're like... Like, if you recognize him then you're you're kind of like you're as a viewer you're more you're predisposed to trust to... him yeah like but it's dean stockwell so it's like oh so he's being he's being a, a dick but it's like oh but that's dean stockwell it's like a guest star oh, that's whatever you know what i mean but Instead there's of also like, that why is that this thing priest... that carries over of like the roles that you've played before you know the what the majority of people probably knew him from was quantum leap where he was right he was a good guy and and yeah. you know warm and and helpful and so you see him with an edge here but you're like yeah but it's Dean Stockwell like I like oh, that guy on Sam. yeah <laughs> Quantum Leap was one of my all time favorite shows I I I definitely watched it a bit as a kid but it, I it was never something that I watched a lot so. Like, I know I watched it enough that when he showed up in this, I was like, oh, Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. And mm. same with Scott Bakula. It was like, oh, from Quantum, Quantum Leap. So I knew them from that. I know I watched it, but it was never, like, when I was younger, I didn't, there was very little TV that I watched, like, religiously. Um, <laughs> besides, like, Facts of Life and Silver Spoons and stuff like that. When I was really little, I, I watched those, but. Until I was a, until really until Friends in ER there and Buffy, there weren't a lot of TV shows I watched in high school and middle school that I was like like appointment television, so I could miss stuff and not watch it for like a year. Oh my god, I have complete opposite experience. Oh well, I'm completely different now. <laughs> but like Friends ER and Buffy like changed the way I watch TV because it made things become appointment television. Where before that, I was like, if I happen to watch it, if I'm home, I'll watch. I'll watch Full House if I'm home, but I don't make a point of it. The TV has always been my friend. <laughs> oh, but I did record Days of Our Lives every day when I was in high school so I could come home from school and watch my soaps. That's dope. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Until Marlena got possessed by the devil, and that was the moment where I was like, I'm done. That was, I think that's the most, that was the moment where a lot of people were done. Yeah. I think that's the last time I, that's the last time I watched. Yeah. I watched it for years up until that point And then when that was over, I was like, stop. That happened. And I was like, watch. okay, that's enough. I I have better things to do. It also was like, I think the highest rated it ever was, I think too. It's it still so the wild. thing that people that so like wild. talk about the most like, oh, right. Wasn't there someone who got possessed by the devil? Like, yeah, Marlena. Yeah. Like, everybody knows Marlena. that. <laughs> Yeah, it was so it was so wild. Oh. <laughs> oh man. So we get to our final jump uh to Caprica and it's uh gonna be a low altitude jump. So they jump in and they're like immediately falling. It's like a very beautiful and dynamic. Mm -hmm. But one person jumps uh I mean, they can't find one of the raptors and then they realize that um, the transponder is still working and they figure out that that person jumped into the mountain, which is very creepy. And it's horrifying. But also, how is the transponder still working? That's uh, why I wrote, not sure how the transponder would work, <laughs> but it's still creepy. But also, cool. I spent a lot of time today when I was like 
writing up my notes, thinking about, like, did they die instantly? Is this like a yeah. like that submarine that exploded situation where it happened so fast they didn't mm. know it? Did it like how like physically how would that work? I mean, it probably would have been instant. Like they would never have known. Like if you like if you're kind of phasing into something, they probably yeah. Probably I little, guess I because I don't understand the actual like physics of jumps. Like, what happens between when you jump away and then appear where your coordinates are? Like, did you ever read Timeline by Michael Crichton? No. Okay, well, you should read it. Don't watch the movie. The movie's really bad. I remember the movie came out, and I was like, this looks terrible. The movie's really bad. The book is... Was it was james what's his name it was um uh, gerard butler and um paul walker paul walker yeah paul walker yeah good casting um really bad adaptation of a very good book there's this whole concept in there because they've basically figured out time travel and the way that it's because it's a michael Crichton book they it really digs into the science of it and it's mm-hmm. like it's described as almost like when you fax a letter, it sort of takes all that data and uh-huh. it's broken apart. And then when it's being received, all that data comes back together. So basically when you're going into this little time machine, it's like it breaks you apart into like at the quantum level and then pieces you back together at the other side. And so that's kind of the way I think about the jump. Almost like you're, you're molecules and then you're brought back together. And it's just really fast, so you don't feel it necessarily. So maybe, yeah, they were like, they were already in a, you know, billions of pieces. And where they materialized was inside the mountain. It was just, they just don't know. They don't know that they died. Because it's just... Yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking about it, like... You know, this like this gets into like specifics of like science and how it would work. Um, but I, you know, I wonder if like the raptor jumped into the mountain, but it wasn't like they were phased into it so that they were like phased into the rock of the mountain, but like maybe somehow the way the jumps work, um, they it ended up that the raptor was whole. Um, and just surrounded by rocks, so they just would have been trapped inside. I thought of that too, which is worse. Right, that way is like, but that actually makes sense why the transponder would work, and but then they, but then yeah, they definitely that would have been a terrible way. Isn't it just because you would have been alive for a while? Yeah, then you're just gonna run out of air. Yeah, and it's like that, but then it's like maybe they couldn't jump back out because nothing worked or something. Um, yeah. That, that that whole idea or concept came from like Ron Moore's uh, writing Star Trek, and so they had always thought of that scenario. That's too dark for Star, for Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like just like <laughs> they just said that he just said they could never really make it work, and like I've only really seen like one transporter accident that ended in that amount of tragedy, and that was like in the first Star Trek movie, and that's uh, 
That's I think that's the only time I've really seen it. And they've done some other stuff, but um, they decided to use that concept here. So that's where it came from. <laughs> um, so those were back to the debate. And in this debate, Rosalind is doubling down on the scriptures. And Baltar responds to uh, the charges that the settlement is a desperate gamble on his since he's behind. He basically says he's believed in Earth, but the Cylons keep coming. So if they have a chance to stop this cycle of like running and hiding and whatever, they should, yeah, shouldn't they take it? And then Rosalind says there's no guarantee that the Cylons wouldn't even like, like, well, who's to say that the Cylons aren't using this planet for their base already? So it's, there's no guarantee that they'll be safe there. Um, and then, and this is the part where uh, Baltar says Rosalind is using fear mm-hmm. to drive her campaign. Um, and it, you know, again, like I think when when Ron Moore says that he's very Clinton esque about it, like he like the way he delivers it, actually, like you know, if I didn't know the background of everything going on, like he sells this idea, like I would, like you know what I mean, like on the surface, like yeah, yeah. you're selling, you know, you're selling. You're selling fear, and I'm selling hope. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he says uh, he's offering for them to stop running from their lives and start living them. So, I mean, it's very well said. Mm-hmm. This is why he's so dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> like the uh, they did like the snake, snake with the tongue or whatever. But then um, he's like the debate's over, and they go and shake hands, and he's like, "Not your night, I guess." She says, "Why don't you go frack yourself?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's like. Yeah, like she at this point, like she knows she's like this. She's in trouble, you know. Yeah. Um. So the polls, uh, the polls open in three days. Yeah. From this, so well, I guess we'll see what happens there. Then there's this whole sequence with Zarek giving his thoughts on the yeah, whole whatever. thing. <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. On Cap, we're back. We're down on Caprica, and we see our. Galactica crew, they're they're uh, on a on a walkabout, um, and then Sharon spots movement in the distance, and Hilo asks if there's is there Samuel T. Anders there, and uh, Barillet, the redhead um, that we'll see periodically from here on out, um, says, "Is there a Carathrace there?" Then Anders jumps in. It's like if there is, tell her took her sweet time getting here, and then. Starbuck grins and smiles. And I'm like, oh. And then they walk out and they hug. Mm-hmm. And they're finally together again. Um, so we find out um, that the resistance is down to basically a nub. Um, they were attacked. Like he says that morning, yeah. I think. And so they had to. He lost half they of had his to people. Like, yeah. So that's all that's left of them. Um uh, so, anyways, it's time to skedaddle. We got to get a- out of here. But wait, Sharon, sal- uh, Sharon shouts, incoming. And then all of a sudden, explosions everywhere. Everyone's running, ducking for cover. They're cut off from their raptors, so they hide in this row of, like, down logs. There's another explosion, and then to be continued. Yep. Yeah. So... There are some similarities with this episode and Cobol's Last Gleaming. There's the discovery of a planet. 
Gata plotting a raptor jump dangerously close to a planet's surface. Starbucks' use of a capture of captured Cylon technology to return to Caprica. The intercutting of several plot threads in the teaser. A character contemplating suicide out of fear of being a Cylon. And difficulties between Hilo and Sharon. That's interesting. Yeah. Colonel Ty appears in this episode twice, but he doesn't speak a single line. Yeah. And the other ones I talked about. Um, oh, Dean Stockwell hadn't seen any episodes of the show when he was offered the part. He agreed to guest star based on the finale scripts alone. And that is what I have for trivia because everything else I talked about already. Yeah, no, I mean, it, the the episode was uh, was kind of like... And in the commentary, he talks about this. It was kind of like slow is not the word. I guess slow is the word, but I because there was a lot of setup. And so a lot of the the movement and action. And when I say action, I don't mean explosions, but, you know, the the stuff that kind of results from this takes place. Um, so it was very talky. And my experience when I watched the episode at first was when they got to the explosion at the very end, I actually was kind of taken back because I was like, wait, there's more, right? Like, because it felt like it was it went a lot faster mm-hmm. than I thought. Um, but also, I, I also thought that it ended on a... I thought it ended where the next episode has a pivotal scene at the toward the beginning, I think. Yeah. Uh, in the middle, I don't remember. But Ron Moore also said he, is, he, like, he likes the part ones better than the part twos. Really? He likes the, yeah. He said because he likes the, the character. He likes the, like the setup and all that stuff. And he's like, the action is the action, whatever he says. But he likes the, setup of stuff. So okay, yeah. Would you say that Baltar was the worst this week? Yeah, I'm gonna say he was the worst. Yeah, he's leading humanity to their doom, all <laughs> just so he can. Also, that he can be president, which is wild. And an ineffective one at that. Yeah. Uh, who would you give full colors to? Uh, that's a good question. I guess um, I don't know, like I like you don't ask it every episode. Uh, I would say Starbuck. That's what I said too, because she completed her. Well, she half now completed her mission. She at least got them to Caprica. Yeah. So she's yeah. halfway there. It's a pretty big endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. And she only lost two ships. So. Yeah. Uh, who would you throw out the airlock? I mean, I, I mean, Baltar. <laughs> I, I said to... Baltar or Zarek. It's funny because like Zarek, not so much, but maybe it's just because I expect that from him or something. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Zarek's an interesting character because like, like I, I think he actually believes in his his stuff whereas Baltart doesn't yeah I don't know and this week's favorite Cylon uh I mean I'll I'll say Sharon but I really I mean I kind of want to say Cavill just because <laughs> I mean you can say Cavill it's like I mean I don't know just because it's but it's just because it's Dean Stockwell like you know and that's it really but I said Sharon yeah. Do we have any new reviews? Uh, no, we did not have any new reviews this week. 
Okay. Well, people, if you're listening, and I know people are, I see that we get downloads. Please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. Go to Spotify and review us. Um, if you write a review, we'll read it. We'll give you a shout out. Uh, you can also message us at Twitter at GalactuallyPod, on Instagram, GalacticActually. Gmail is GalacticActuallyPodcast at gmail.com. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at the Armageddon, and uh, you can also find me on my new podcast I'm doing um, called Another Review That You Didn't Ask For. Um, I've done two episodes so far. The first one was for Ahsoka, and I just did one for Killers of the Flower Moon. This podcast is making me watch things that I decided I wasn't going to watch and now I'm like, oh, I guess I got to watch that now. So um, they're really very brief, five to seven minutes. And you can also find some of my work at First uh, First Noel Chronicles, which is a fantasy novel that I do an audiobook reading of. And Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura, which I appear on. We're going to be doing a Canadian uh, cartoons pretty soon or canadian shows i should say pretty soon kids shows so mm. um those are where you can find me um i can be found on instagram at oh hey jamie it's o underscore hey underscore jamie and if you want to hear my past podcasting work i can be found on unspoiled network where i was co-host on lost and doctor who and band of brothers the Punisher and the Vampire Diaries. And next week we have Lay Down Your Burdens Part Two. The season finale, which changes everything. Everything. Um, in the commentary, Ron Moore was saying how the, and I knew that the episode was longer than average, but I didn't really know how long, but he said it was ninety minutes. And so oh. that's probably like how it was aired. So it's probably like, you know, it's probably like it's probably like an hour. 60, yeah, it's probably sixty to seventy minutes. But anyways, um, so yeah, it's a much because I, I do remember like it being longer. Like, whoa, what's happening? I didn't what's, remember wait that. Wait a minute. Okay. I don't. I didn't remember. I didn't remember like that. It was advertised as like ninety minute episode, but I do remember thinking like, oh yeah, I knew it was a little bit longer than average. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'll yeah. carve out a little extra time knowing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, All right. Yeah, I can't wait to get to this. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about next week. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then we move on to season three. So we're about halfway through. Yeah. Which feel like, I know we've been doing this since February and it's November. So that makes sense, but it just feels like it's going fast, even though it's <laughs> I know. not I necessarily know. going fast. But yeah. I'm excited to talk about the end of season two next week, for sure. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Season two. So un All right. until then, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 